0: It's, I'm not kidding, you're probably one of the personal, for me personally, the hardest thing to detach yourself from. As soon as you're able to do that, and I started focusing on the business is where the real like possibility happens, where the real growth starts to happen.
1: From RevThink, you're listening to the RevThinking Podcast, a conversation among creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. I'm Joel Pilger. Today, my guest is Ryan Bramwell of Motion Design Studio Spilt. This is the first podcast in a series discussing the seasons of the creative firm.
0: Welcome to Rev, Thinking. Rev Think leverages years of experience and practical wisdom to help owners of top creative studios so you don't have to choose between following your passion and running your business. Now, here's your host, Joel Pilger.
1: Hello, good morning from Los Angeles. It's Joel, and today on the podcast, we are talking about seasons of the creative firm. Now, that's a concept that here at RevThink, we've developed, which describes the patterns that all firms seem to go through. So these are patterns that creative studios go through as they evolve and they grow. And these these patterns, these stages, if you will, sound like this. There's the painful season when you start. There's the push season as you break through and start to make progress. Then there's the punch season, the perform season, and ultimately the power season. Now, this got some attention recently when Justin Cohn from Motionographer reached out to me and interviewed me, and this was one of the central topics that he found so fascinating. and all owners find this really interesting because they definitely see themselves in the seasons. And each season has its own set of trade-offs and characteristics. Um, and that's, I think, what, of course, is intriguing. Most people are trying to reach the next season and grow into that next phase of their business. Well, I thought it would be really cool to do a series on the seasons. And the series would be interviewing an owner who is in each of the the seasons, so we could get a representation of creative studios that are going through all these different phases. Well, we're starting that series today, and my guest is Ryan Bramwell of Creative Motion Design Agency, SPILT, in Denver, Colorado. Now, I was in Denver just the other day, and fortunately, Ryan was kind enough to join me for my live weekly Q&A that I do with my creative studio Jumpstart members all around the world, because Ryan is just one of those really giving, kind-hearted guys that's always willing to sit down and share his perspective even with other owners. But while I was there, I said, hey, let's sit down and record a podcast because Ryan and Spilt have just celebrated their 10th anniversary. So Ryan has a perspective now and has been through some of these seasons. And you can hear from him, like what are the trade-offs of growth and change and evolution uh, in his business based on the season of his creative firm and where he is presently at. So I hope you enjoy this conversation between me and Ryan about the seasons of the creative firm. Congratulations on a 10-year anniversary. Thanks. Thank you so much for being on the jumpstart Q&A with me this morning. You're like uh, a willing victim to help your fellow owners and the community at large, so really appreciate you doing that.
0: Oh, great, thanks. Uh, Pleasure to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, forewarning, this is one of my first few, so we'll see how it goes. (laughs) We'll see how it goes.
1: (laughs) So dude, 10 years, it's funny. So I, for the benefit of the audience, you and I have known each other for, I guess a little over 10 years because when you started Spilt, I was running my studio and we were looking for a way to collaborate and you had come back from New York where you had
0: been an an active freelancer, right? And what
1: year was that when you started
0: Spilt? I think it was January 2007 we started. Got it.
1: And what's so cool is two weeks ago, I think, um, there was a big 10th anniversary celebration here at your new studio facility, I should say, your new building um, here in Denver. And thank you for inviting me to that, that was awesome.
0: When we didn't have it until two weeks ago, cause as you all know, um, we have work to do and we were also moving and all the other internal stuff comes your way. But
1: Right, you're like running, a, you're actually running a business.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so right,
1: so anniversaries don't just line up conveniently with moving into a new office building automatically, right? Yeah. (laughs) But it was a super cool event because it was a whole gathering of a community here in Denver that has been growing and thriving for more than 10 years. Um, And this was like a great excuse for everyone to come together and say, yeah, this motion design and animation agency is crushing it. We're all celebrating with you. And I just thought it was such a cool, I don't know, milestone in the history of Denver, but also in the industry. Um, And it was great just to see like this huge turnout of all these people all celebrating the success. So congratulations.
0: Thanks, yeah. And you know the biggest thing I saw about that is Denver's kind of like a microcosm of the rest of the industry where like 20 years ago, all you had was these huge post houses and then the industry kind of fragmented much like it did in Denver to a lot of small motion boutiques and small agencies and then those have been getting bigger and bigger work over time, been coming together more, and people are getting better projects. So it's been really interesting to see that whole dynamic over time as well. Um, and also see almost everybody there has been m- very supportive in this growing industry, and uh, a lot of collaboration is going on in Denver. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think what's cool too is I th- when I think of the, sort of the trajectory of the industry here in Denver, Is you know, and I hope, hopefully, I had some something to do with this. Is that there has always been a very high level of collaboration and openness, and hey, we're all in this together, and we're going to all make this industry stronger. If we make Denver stronger, we all win. Um, Because I know, if I think back fifteen or twenty years ago, I think that uh, the mentality was more uh, prison eater. Isn't that <laughs> our friend Mitch's term for, for it? Um, the prison eater mentality of, you know, I'm going to protect what's mine and not, not share and not, not uh, you know, get out there with, the, with my fellow people in the industry. And I think, I, I, I would like to think that Spilt's part of the success has been that you've been very collaborative and you've actually, you know, joined forces with interesting people along the way and not just tried to sort of keep it all to yourself.
0: Uh, Yeah, I sure hope so. That's one of our like foundations. Um, And yes, you definitely, you know, when we started Impossible too was you guys were about at your ten year at that point. I think that's right. Maybe a little after. So
1: yeah, ten ten out of my twenty years is about that point in time.
0: Yeah. um, And so it was cool. It was interesting to see you guys. And we were kind of doing the motion design thing. But you know, that's such a niche thing to do. Like, you have to do partnerships, and it's our partnerships might be our clients or uh, other production studios. I know we worked on a few projects together. Mm -hmm. It's way more fun to do that, to work outside of the box, which is your company, and to work with other people and to learn stuff than it is to worry about how competitive you're being. You have enough to do running your business, right? And so I think just naturally, you and I just way back when talking, we kind of latched onto that more positive aspect I'd like to think of it Uh, and uh, yeah hopefully everyone else just it kind of helped we hope
1: (laughs) well I have to give credit to Mitch Munson. he was also a big influence on me um, of having that attitude of sharing and collaborating but yeah just to acknowledge what you were saying totally I mean it's like when you can collaborate with people outside of your immediate family if you will Um, You learn so much and you have so many fresh ideas and different perspectives. Um, It really does make you a lot stronger, even though in the moment you think, oh, I'm nervous about this. I'm scared because is this person going to take something from me or steal from me? Um, I heard this expression recently that uh, I think Tim Thompson, he said, look, if there's something that you have that someone can take from you, that easily. You never owned it in the first place.
0: That's a great way to say it. (laughs) And it's usually first the financial stuff. Once you get past the financial stuff, it's a lot easier, but it is a big financial because it's like lower budgets, Denver, Colorado, already scraping around, but I still need somebody to shoot something and I don't shoot. (laughs) (laughs) There it is.
1: Yeah. Perfect example. So now, when you, so now at this 10-year point, I think what's interesting is when owners get to a 10-year point, they become reflective. Um, what I find often is that an owner of a production company or you know, a motion design studio, uh, animation company, what have you, that they get into the business for certain reasons. And at the 10-year point is when you can't really deny whether or not your goals are actually coming true. You know what I mean? Like year seven, you might be workaholic. You're you're working all the time. It's crazy. That wasn't your goal, but you you're okay with it because you almost accommodate. You know, you almost just ignore it. But when you get to ten years, you have things like a wife and children. You might you have responsibilities, and like there's all these things telling you, "Hey, dude, it's year ten. Is it working?" Like you can no longer sort of deny it. So I'm curious to hear from you. What's your take on that? Like, what were your goals when you when you started, and how do you feel like, you know, how do you feel now at 10 years?
0: Uh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head, um, for sure. Um, you know, that cycle is, yeah, I, I haven't thought about that, but, yeah, it's pretty much the past, like, three or four years, you know, we're growing, you're feeling, I'm kind of feeling burnout. But now, like, the past year, it's like, this is amazing. Like, it's working, the business is running, and, um, the original goals I had was to have an umbrella sort of brand, entity, company, call it what you will, that allowed people to like work on awesome creative in an area they wanted to live in, but still work on the creative that they would see in New York and LA. So how could you bridge that gap of the amazing network work and still be an hour and a half away from the snowboarding, from the slopes? Um, and to kind of give them that umbrella where the, the company is there to protect them, the company is there to grow with them and support them, but individually the artists still had their own island to create um, and still, you know, in many ways could be benefited from the work that they do or if they brought in work. I don't think that goal has ever changed if anything, it's, uh, it's grown with the company um, and it's helped. it's been a key factor on our growth, I would say. I do think because when we launched, you know, we were seeing the big firms like Lobo and MK12 doing these amazing things, like in what's South America and Kansas City, Missouri. So we were right in between the two creative markets. And if we couldn't do it here, I think we're living where you want to live and being able to do the work, being right smack dab in between these two cities. um, I think. There would be no other place to do it. In a way, it was sort of like
1: all or nothing. Like you wanted to live where you wanted to live, mm-hmm. and if you couldn't have that, then all bets were off.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great actually great way of saying. I think the reason that we did start in Denver, apart from the fact I grew up here, was I, I had lived in New York and lived in L.A. and I, I wasn't a fan of the subways uh, and the, the the summers. They're super hot, and then L.A. was. The traffic and everything and maybe it's just the love of outdoors that if you couldn't you you should be able to do a company like this right in between those two hubs like and still have your cake and eat it too i guess right right
1: well obviously i've i lived a similar life right um before that and i absolutely chose to die on that hill as well, and I think it's a really cool encouragement to other owners who are trying to stake their claim outside of New York, outside of LA, and even internationally, that you can kill it. You can totally crush it um, where you want to live, but I guess I would also put a caveat on that, because you've always been very good about getting outside your bubble. You do go to New York, you do go to Los Angeles, you do prospect you know, Atlanta, what have you. And that, I think, is a very key difference because I just know from experience, of course, and see other studios that do it, that if you're not willing to get outside of your little comfort zone, you probably won't kill it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can't say that our industry is not locational based and you're gonna start off in you know a place like Denver and then never travel. Like you, you have to be able to travel. We, we want to do more work um, from some of say like the agencies in San Francisco or Portland. Well, we're going to go there and say hi. Um, the great benefit to that is if you're traveling from Denver or if you want to start a company in your home city, you know you'll get a meet, you'll get a meeting a little bit easier because they know you're coming from a longer distance. There's, I see more reasons to travel more and more opportunities than not, you know. Yeah, i totally
1: agree well i had a good friend the first time i went to new york to go on a big sales trip (laughs) i had a friend who saw that i was really struggling and feeling like a loser and i don't i don't compare to all of these amazing shops and he said no dude they're going to be so curious about you because you're from denver colorado and he was absolutely right i could get meetings like nobody's business because i was from outside of their normal and New Yorkers are curious, so I took advantage of it.
0: I'm, <laughs> I'm sure you've done, I, I you've done it the it. same way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've lived it. Yeah. Um, so here's a question. As you know, we, we've been, you and I have been bantered back and forth a little bit about these seasons of the creative firm that at RevThink, what we talk about, and these are these stages that firms go through as they evolve and as they grow. In your opinion, have you always had a desire to become bigger, to grow, and is that is that good, right? Is it good to grow and become bigger and better or not?
0: Well, I've always envisioned to have a company. I've always said, I don't want a company bigger than 20 people. I always thought, and you know, even 10 years ago, I was pretty young and naive, but I always thought that bigger than about 20 people, you start to get, Pretty big, and you lose that connection with the client. For me, like, I love the service we provide and the process we bring the client from. I don't think that has ever changed. I think where we're at is where I personally want to be. However, that comes with, you know, I back then I was like, great, 20 people. That's going to be awesome. It feels a lot. A lot of people hanging around doing a ton of projects. Um, The downside is that um, there's a lot of cash that goes in and out, there's a lot of overhead, there's a lot of uh, the cogs and the cost of doing business Um, that I, you know, it's taken me the better part of four or five years to control that stress level, to realize that, uh, to pretend to just take off a few zeros here and there for my own sanity. it's, there's there's a growth there. There's a stress level that I don't think people think about when you're, you know, not only trying to keep your company open, but keeping, you know, all of your employees busy, fed, and creatively inspired, too. Yeah,
1: it's interesting because I think you just said in so many words that a lot of owners think, well, my business is really cool at 10. It'll just be more cool when it's 20 people. And they think, Nothing's going to change other than there's more projects and there's more money. Correct, yeah. And that's not true because once you cross over 20 um and you start to get into that season I find right around 25 people is when you actually have this thing called the need for managers, departments, that kind of thing, and that's a that's a big cultural shift, right? And I think you you maybe maybe you intuitively since that and you know like i don't think i want to go there
0: yeah i don't i don't think i would i i've worked at bigger internal house companies or freelanced at big agencies um you know on the coast and it's you're more of a cog in the machine and you miss that like awesome small family culture you know i guess is a way to say it Mm -hmm. yeah um i guess the important thing for me is I never wanted to compare like although I do look up to amazing companies like Trollback and the Mill and Charlex and Buck like I don't want to compare myself to them in terms of in order for me to be an awesome company I have to have 100 people right. like there are so many sweet companies that I look up to that are just 3 5 man shops and they're doing amazing work they're funny, amazing lifestyles that they've chosen. And I, I think that's just great. Yeah. yeah. So,
1: right now, you were, you and I reflected briefly before we jumped on the microphones here about some of the trade offs and things that you saw in your journey moving from that, what I call the punch season, into that perform season. And you said, oh man, there's some things in there that really resonated, like what are maybe some of the, I mean the good things I think we've kind of covered, what are some of the gotchas or things to watch out for?
0: Yeah, I think, well just to let everybody know, I think the the push and the punch, we're, we've gone through pretty quick. Like we were at, you know, the initial, the painful seasons in the push for, I mean the painful season for six, seven years, it was a slower curve. Yeah. Uh, and then we hit the push, and I think we jumped over the push real quick and got right into the the punch. And we're right in between the punch and the perform right now. Right, um, right. And I think, you know, some of the things like I am starting to pay talent more. I, like I'm actively looking for, hey, maybe we need another creative lead from one of the big shops, uh, somebody that balances us out um, somebody that writes is on set more you know and you're tempted to pay that person more than you pay yourself yeah uh, yeah and I'm very (laughs) much tempted to and it's like but that I'm also like well that's going to put a ton of stress on me too because I got to find x amount of projects to keep that person here Um, especially if a person like that might uproot their life and family from one of those locations out to here I mean it's a It's a big decision that affects many levels. Um, And you know, the past three or four years, I've been, I've converted from the creative to more the operational, uh, have had to rewire your brain to take that creative energy and put it into the creation of a company, or at least the processes of it that you get burnt out. You really do. And I've gone through that ebb and flow of being burnt out that super stressful detachment that you're not part of every creative project you know it's the hardest thing to do it's like ripping your soul out like as soon as a client calls you you're like i want to be on the phone you like a puppy dog and it's like <laughs> the creative director puppy dog and you're like but you have to like step back and trust that your team will do it it's it's i'm not kidding you're probably one of the personal for me personally the hardest thing to detach yourself from but as soon as i was able to like Really detach myself, and to be honest, I'm not fully detached yet. But ninety percent there. As soon as you're able to do that, and I start focusing on the business, is where the real like possibility happens, where the real growth starts to happen, where you can really help people and delegate and support those roles for people. And the combination of all those roles helps the entire company grow. I
1: love what you're saying. I'm reminded of a couple years ago. I think. I was working on a passion project film thing, and I remember you surprised me because you like leaned over the table and said, dude, please let me do the film titles. <laughs> and I was like, um, okay, wh- what do you mean? And you're like, I'm dying to do something super creative. Yeah. And it sounds like at that moment, you were in that tension yeah. of, I'm having to transition to running my business more. But when I look at you today, what I see is like you've translated, you've converted that passion for creative on the visual side and the design side, and you're converting it into a passion for being creative as a business owner, working in finance and in operations. And those are all like really boring sounding words to people (laughs) that are creatives. But yeah, I can definitely agree with you that there is a lot of fun and a lot of cool stuff there. So yeah, would you say for the guy out there that's running a shop and dreams of being bigger, and 20 people, or whatever, if you think you're gonna get there and still be the creative guy doing all the creative, that's perhaps an unrealistic expectation.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, uh, and, it, and it goes around a lot, that's kind of the Joe's mechanic shop metaphor. You know, if you're Joe and working on a car and you're great at working on the car, well, people will take you to work on the car, but what about the accounting and all this other stuff? Um, or even uh, like a lot of our fathers might be like joe um where they work in the company and they do that craft so well that it's hard to let that go so they end up working all day on the car or in our case pixels and um but we get burnt out because we don't have time to do accounting and we like i suck at accounting like (laughs) and so i think once we start to design and delegate Those elements, it'll allow us to grow. Um, I kind of preface that because, ideally, I believe that whatever company you have should be built foundationally on your vision for life. It can't be the other way around. If it's the other way around, then your company just owns you. You know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's when you've created a job, not a business. Yeah, you've created created a job for yourself, and. I'm reminded of this killer quote from Michael Gerber who wrote um, The E-Myth, which is kind of a business classic. He says, um, if your business totally depends on just you, you don't own a business, you have a job. And it's the worst job in the world because you're working for a lunatic.
0: <laughs> <Which> is, <laughs> that, and you have like 50 bosses, they're all called clients. You're yeah, like, oh. Yeah.
1: And in a way, look, when you grow, I think too, in a way, employees are almost like bosses in that they have a lot of demands and a lot of needs. And so you have employees pulling on you. Hey, I'm not happy or I want this out of my career. And I'm counting on you to come through for me. And then you have clients doing the same thing. Like, dude, I'm counting on you and your company to do all of these amazing things for me and come through for me. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of like caught in the middle and a lot of stress and push and pull.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that that I think in that kind of period of the seasons is when people get burned out because you're starting to get to get to that level of kind of those annual sales. You're working on a, quite a bit of projects like both low budget and high budget. And there's a lot of cogs in the wheel. So all that to say, is there a simple answer
1: to bigger is better?
0: Um, bigger is only better if it's something you truly want as a vision for your life. If you really want to run a huge company and figure out what that's gonna be, I'd say go for it. Yeah. Um, If you're wanting to do high-end creative and be very close and personal with most of the projects and your clients, I'd say maybe not, you know? I mean, either one will get you money at the end, you know? It's just the process to get there.
1: And that's, I think those are wise words because I've seen, firms that are one to two million where the owner is making a really good living and he thinks well if i'm twice as as big i'll be making twice as much and it doesn't usually pan out that way so you want to sort of ask yourself the question if i'm making enough now and growing isn't really going to increase my income by leaps and bounds maybe i'm good like maybe just stay where you're at and make it the best that it can be at that size firm
0: yeah, absolutely. And you're you're dead on right. Doubling your income of jobs does not equal doubling the money in the pocket.
1: Right. So t- that <laughs> twice that, as much revenue is not twice as much you take home pay.
0: That's like the definition pretty much of like the past three years. We've we've about doubled revenue and I can tell you I'm not twice as rich. Like the cost <laughs> have doubled a little bit more, but yeah. <laughs>
1: there you go. There you go. So so I'd love to hear this uh, answer to this question. Is there some things that come to mind that you wish you had known when you started your firm that you know now, as you look back?
0: Yeah, I think when I started the firm, you know, it was, you know, I started when I was 27. I was young. You know, looking back, I wish I had a lot more experience. I should have taken some time to work at other companies, work at other studios. I was a really decent animator and designer at a very specific time in our industry. And I think for me, if I would have spent more time trying to work at all these shops I liked, um, I think I would have got a better knowledge of our industry at that time, uh, better examples of how other companies are operating, and also met a lot more people, you know? Um, And I think that's probably the biggest thing I wish I would have done. Um, I wish I probably would have known that getting to about, you know, we're at with Permal answers in salary right around average of 18 to 20. I, You know, I wish I really known that at the end of the day, it's not going to be about you and your company first. It's about the human aspect. I think back then I was like, I'm going to make this awesome company. And it, there was some ego involved, right? You, there always is. And But when you get to it like 10 years later, it's more about the people and about the connections and about the partnerships you make along the way. That's more important. And back then, I would say, well, I'm going to do that because I'm a sweet designer. And I think the reality is the design and the style is secondary to the connections you make with other human beings in our industry. You reminded me of this, um,
1: something I wrote. People don't buy from companies. People buy from people. And obviously, really what that's saying is business, at the end of the day, is relationships. And I think, yeah, when we're young, we have that bravado and that ego. And it's like, because I'm so great at the work and I'm such a killer designer, I'm going to go make this thing and it's all going to work out. And the sooner you learn that it's all about those relationships and building trust and a reputation, the better, you know, the better off you'll be.
0: Yeah, especially in our industry. I mean, if you really distill our industry, we're filled with a bunch of highly artistic and creative people that if they weren't so weighed down with deadlines and clients or their business that we would toss it all away in a second and go play with some finger paints like we did, you know? Everybody's really passionate. They really, like, wanna look through our industry and our projects through the eyes of a child, some people say, and I think it's less business. It's more of just personal connections in that regard, you know? Right, so I'm
1: curious, what's the advice that you might offer to your peers who are maybe they look at spilt and they go oh man I'm gonna I wanna do that get that get to that point someday or I wanna grow or I wanna be all that maybe they wanna be that hundred person company like you mentioned that you don't want to be Um, I mean you've already said some things about make sure that it's consistent with your life and I think what you meant by that was make sure the business serves your life not the other way around right because we don't want to live to work we want to work to live absolutely
0: what would what would be your advice well I think the biggest advice is um, I wouldn't look up to me I would look I'm right online with everybody here because I'm going through the same things on a daily basis I can't stress that enough Uh, I'm constantly learning Um, I think you know, look at especially the past four years. I would say take your time. Um, our industry is packed with huge deadlines. It's extremely fast-paced, and it's the hardest thing to do. Is take your time, learn the elements you need to learn to grow your business and create your business, and you know, treat your business the same way you treat a project like you can design it any way you want. there's no right or wrong you know and it, it should fit in with your life and if you can do that that's where you have the most success We I have friends that have companies that will take off for three months out of the year and go travel in Europe and they do amazing work and that's just the reality. you can do whatever you want. There's no rules.
1: <laughs> well, I love that. I love what you're saying. I mean, I literally did an, uh, a podcast with uh, Maria at Undefined Creative in New York, and she's a they're a small two person, three person shop now, and very much like you said, she sat down and said, "I'm going to design my life and my business like a project," and it meant, "Hey, we have we're we you know we're kind of slow in January and August or something." So every year she travels like around the world during those seasons because that's what success looks like to her. And I, I just love the intentionality of that. And I think most people running their businesses are just, it's the next project, it's the next deadline. There's never really time to slow down and say, wait, is this if I designed this business and my life intentionally, or have I just reacted to opportunity
0: as it's come? Yeah, that's a good point. I'm extremely jealous of Maria, actually. And that's, like, <laughs> that's a great case in point because I'm at that point where I have been working on this 90 million you know hours in a year sort of thing. And I'm now designing a way in this company to set it up that I can take that time off, that I can take a step back. And it's good to take a step back too because it'll really test You know if your business can survive without you and you know there's a 30-day sabbatical there's a 90 day sabbatical rules you'll see all these you know people write this stuff and you know we'll see what i will realistically end up doing but i i think that's a good example of me furthering to get to what i think is a much better level of life, work-life balance than Maria has that I don't have.
1: <laughs> oh, I love that! I, I can't wait to watch you go through that process because I, again, I know I know all the people on your team, and I know your company is going to be in really good hands. Um, but it is a process of getting to that point, but. Yeah, go for it. It's going to be awesome.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they, I've brought it up with them a few times over the past, I don't know, six, seven months. So now I'm being yelled at to do that. And <laughs> Now they're holding
1: you accountable. Yeah. You said you were going to take a month off. Yes. Uh, when are you leaving? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, congratulations again on 10 awesome years. Um, can't wait to see what the next 10 years brings. I'm going to just be here cheering you on and look forward to hearing about you taking that month
0: off. Awesome. Yeah, and thank you very much. It's uh, it's an honor to be a part of it. And uh for those who are listening out there, here's to your success. And um, anytime you have any questions, uh, let me know. Um, I'm always open.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks again, Ryan, and good luck. We'll keep our eyes on Spilt and uh, wish you tons of more success. Sweet. Denver signing out. Rev Thinking is produced by Rev Think. Feel free to connect with us at revthink.com. We'd love to help. And hey, if you like the Rev Thinking podcast, please do us a favor by subscribing on iTunes and giving us your feedback. Thanks for listening to Rev Thinking.
0: I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas economic trends and it's a place to research check out many of the resources we have online our videos and of course this podcast join us today at revthink.com slash community if you're a creative studio owner feel free to join us today at revthink.com slash community i look forward to seeing you there